Welcome to the Social Lights podcast with Kate Vandervoort, where I interview changemakers and innovators on how they connect with their tribe on social media. Brought to you by Social Mediology. Hello, everybody, and welcome to season three of the Social Lights podcast. I am delighted to be here today with MJ Ryan. MJ is one of the creators of the New York Times bestselling Random Acts of Kindness series and the author of The Happiness Makeover, Attitudes of Gratitude, The Power of Patience, Trusting Yourself, The Giving Heart, and 365 Health and Happiness Boosters, amongst other titles. She's a <laughs> prolific author. Um, altogether, there are more than 1.75 million copies of her titles in print. She's also a venture development guide for... CEO. And I am so happy to be here with you today, MJ, because I'm a big fan of some of your books. They're on my bookshelf. So welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you, Kate. So tell me, MJ, what is it that inspires you to get out of bed in the morning? What lights you up? The possibility of helping other people using um, my ability to understand what other people are going through and all the things that I've learned through the books I've written and um, the work that I've done. Wonderful. And so tell us a bit about your journey. How did you become such a prolific author speaking about some of the most important things in in our world? It was an accident, completely and totally. I lived with a guy who wanted to be a book publisher and I used to be an editor and he said, let's start a book publishing company. We didn't have a penny. It was one of those, you know, in the, in the house, on the credit card, kind of starting a business. And we were successful with our very first book. And so we started publishing books, uh, particularly in just to women in the areas of personal growth, self-help, inspiration, those things. And then one day uh, we had this idea uh, to write a little book called Random Acts of Kindness. And it was a collection. I collected these stories for people talking about things that had been kind things that had been done um, for them in their lives. And it was, it really struck me that we, we, ha- we held it in our office. There was probably about a hundred people in the room and people were remembering things from decades before, you know, somebody helped stopped to fix their tire somebody gave them a ride when they needed somebody you know fed them when etc and I started to really understand the power of just those really small things and then the book became a worldwide sensation and we ended up being in the media all the time now this is pretty much pre-internet so it was like the early 90s I think it was 1991 or maybe 92 and so we had put at the back of the book send us your stories and literally people, the, the male person would come in with sacks, like looking like Santa Claus, delivering these things. And I was on the radio and on television um, all the time talking about this. And I thought, I can't be a hypocrite. I have to be able to do these things to be able to talk about them because I can't talk about random massive kindness of not doing them. So I started to do it myself and I got happier. Now I'm a person, I'm a graduate, my degree is in psychology. I've always been interested in human beings and I knew everything. I had been in therapy. I knew everything about why I was not a happy person, but I had no idea how to be happy until I started to do these random acts of kindness and I got happier. And I thought, Hmm, I wonder what else we could, I could do that was that's right in front of our faces that is simple and easy and that would make us happier. And so that's when I started to explore gratitude and from there, generosity, et cetera. And every time I did any of these things, I got happier. 
And so I thought, huh, maybe I'm onto something. And so I started writing about it and researching, working with other people. And, um, and then right about that same time, a little bit later, maybe 10, five years after I started really publishing all these books, the positive psychology movement started publishing the research that backs up why I, what I had learned really works. <laughs> and it's actually really simple that all the positive emotions exist to help us recover from the negative ones. <laughs> so when, when, we are, when we experience fear or anger or sadness, et cetera, we send our bodies into, you know, into the, uh, a negative state physiologically as well as emotionally. And when we, when we then practice the positive ones, any of these, we bring ourselves back into balance. Ah, interesting. Isn't it wonderful when science catches up with practicality and experience? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just deduced a lot of the things that they later, which was really interesting. So, um, so that really set me on this journey. And then I've been writing and publishing and speaking about all of this stuff since then. You know, when I first came across your book, which must have been in the early 90s, because I remember I was in my early 20s and mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough to grow up. My mum runs quite a large organisation helping people with loss, grief, trauma, life-threatening mm -hmm. illness. Mm -hmm. And our home was filled with random acts of kindness. Wow. So we would, on Christmas morning, you know, then there was an AIDS ward in the hospital. We would go and mum would massage their feet and I'd have little cards and candy canes to hand out to everyone. And then Christmas evening, we always had an orphan's waifs and strays Christmas party and we'd have, you know, 100 people in our home, who most of whom we didn't know particularly well. And we dress as clowns and go to the children's ward at the hospital. So I grew up with these random acts of kindness just being second nature. So when I read your book, I was like, yes, this is something that's, you know, it felt like there was almost a movement that was happening around yes, it. Yes, there, there was. As, as a young person, it didn't feel like it was necessarily natural for people or that a lot of people did it. Yeah. Um, but what's been really interesting for me through COVID is watching some of the kindness movements. And it's interesting. I'd, I'd love your perspective over time of how you've seen these movements kind of explode and then they almost retract a bit yeah. and then they yeah. start again. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I would say that that's kind of my perception as well. Um, so when we first did this, as I we we did it exploded into this movement. We ended up starting a nonprofit that still actually runs today, doing random acts of kindness in schools, particularly in the U.S., but really around the world. Um, um, so that we could do our book publishing business, we had to spin this off. Um, and uh, I think part of it really had to do with the pre-social media, frankly, because. It was sharing stories, which now we do all the time, every single day, right? Well, on, on all of our social media, we share stories with one another. But back then, it was not that common to have just a collection. It was the same time that Chicken Soup for the Soul came out, which were also these heartwarming stories that were real stories of people doing wonderful things. We literally published exactly at the same time. And so I think that there was a hunger there, which then got filled a lot of sense of connection and desire to connect through social media, actually. Um, so it became less, um, at least the book collections became less necessary. I think that the desire still to be kind was there. But the interesting thing to me is when I first started, I've been, my book on gratitude came out about 20 years ago. And 
It's only been in the last five years or so when I do any kind of presentations, most people go, oh yeah, I know I'm doing that, right? Until, so this is kind of the wave. So there was a wave of, oh, what does gratitude to do for you? Oh, wow, this is a really not, not a habitual thing. Okay, maybe I should start to do it. I wonder what good it will do. And then to, to the point where at least everyone I come across goes, oh yeah, I do that, right? So yeah. um, I think that um, right now we're living in a terrible time of fear. And there's, I think that our resilience, partly because and now I'm talking from the U.S., so uh, you know we have our own special challenges. Uh, but people are very. Um, what I notice is, and not just here, but also, yeah, I would say in Australia, with the clients I'm working with there in in Canada, there's a little bit more brittleness. People are 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 less resilient, less uh, uh, able to kind of deal with, because we've un been under so many different challenges this year, right? Um, and it's been a long haul. And so yeah. I think that it's hard. I found it really interesting. I know early on, there was a Facebook group, I think it was global, that started called the Kindness Pandemic at the beginning mm -hmm. of COVID. Yes. And lots of people sharing really beautiful stories of helping other people out. Mm -hmm. But then it was almost like as the reality set in, people kind of contracted again. And there yes. was, this, and I think masks, you know, where masks have been worn, where you can't necessarily see a person's facial expressions, it's kind of sets this fear up rather than that, that innate sense of kindness. Yeah, and in the U.S., all these people who won't wear masks, so when you see them, you think, oh, no, they're going to get me sick, they're idiots, you know, you, all these negative thoughts go through your head about that person. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that it's funny, somebody was just telling me a story about seeing a photo of people lining up to vote. It was, it was the first um, election in the U.S. where uh, Black people were allowed to vote. And there was just lines and lines and lines and lines. And she, and she was talking about this photo and she said, now you look at that, we go, you're standing too close together. You're not wearing masks. You know, it's like, as opposed to being inspired and excited about this, this amazing event, right? And so I think we're a little bit anxious and rightly so, of course, you know, we are going through difficulties. But I think that when I, at least for me, what I notice is when I can get beyond that and continue to practice gratitude, generosity, kindness, I feel better. <laughs> yeah, we set up a Facebook group in our street and my girls write a letter with beautiful drawings every week and we go and put it in everybody's letterbox. Oh, and that's We had beautiful. a coffee truck business that almost went out of business locally because all the com all the businesses closed and that was 90% yeah. of his trade. And so mm -hmm. um, I said to him, why don't you come and set up in my front yard? And so people would socially distance up the street to come get their coffee on a Saturday morning. And he just said, you know, it kept me feeling like I had a sense of purpose. Everybody in the street said they felt like they had something to come together, even though we were distanced. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's been really heartwarming to see some of the, some of the things, particularly at a local level that, that have been happening through this time. So I know one of the other things that you're really passionate about, because you work with CEO and I recently interviewed Vicky Saunders, the founder of CEO. So for anyone who wants to go back and find out in depth more about um, CEO, but MJ has been involved since the very beginning. So talk to me a little bit about um, why you got involved in, in that space. Yeah. I mean, so, um, 
I, as I said, I owned this book, book publishing company. And then in, I came to the middle of my life and uh, I suddenly didn't want to be in my business anymore. I was 45 years old and I thought, okay, well, maybe I'm just tired. So I, 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 had, a, I had, had adopted a baby. I had moved. My father died. I'd written three books and edited 30. I thought, oh, I'm just exhausted. So I took time off and then I was like, nah, I still don't want to go back. <laughs> then I said, oh, I needed a sabbatical. I took three months off, didn't want to go back. So then I knew I had to leave. And so I did. I sold my company. Um, and um, I decided what I wanted to do was work more directly with people rather than writing books only um, or speaking only, which is much more to a crowd of people. I'm very much a one-on-one -on -one person. So uh, I really wanted to work one-on-one -on -one with people. So um, I started doing this work where I'm working. And originally I leveraged my business background I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I went, I worked at all the companies that are here, all the Silicon Valley companies I worked at, and I helped them get a promotion, get raises, learn how to speak more articulately, learn how to ask questions, whatever it is they want, they needed to learn. And I got tired of that. <laughs> I was like, enough of that already. Yes, I can help you get a promotion, but do I really care? <laughs> and so um, I, you know, as the world became more and more obvious that we're facing tremendous challenges in terms of, you know, poverty, racism, environmental change, all of those things. I wanted to really focus on those, those issues. And so uh, simultaneously, I started working more and more with startups and in general. And one of the people I worked with uh, uh, several times was Vicky. So she used to be a client of mine. And so when she started talking about this idea, her original idea for CEO was a blog. <laughs> she said, I'm thinking of a blog that I would call CEO. And so as she spoke more, she started to think about the form that it's in now. And um, she came to me and said, when we do this, will you work with the ventures? Because I, I've worked with you and I know what value you can add. And so will you come and do this with ventures? And I, I thought this is like the perfect thing because you know, the ventures that she are funding are all social enterprises working on the UN SDGs. And, and they're amazing, doing incredible things. And so I'm so honored to uh, help them. Uh, that, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. They are incredible ventures. I keep seeing videos and posts and you know, the thing that really speaks to me in your, um, in the creed of CEO is mm. the amplifying women's voices mm. and stories. And, yeah. you know, joining the CEO network myself, obviously I joined to contribute, but there is a pool of never ending podcast guests because <laughs> I'm so inspired by all of these stories. And it's such a gift to be able to help bring some of those stories to life through this podcast. So thank you for um, doing so. I've got to make sure that I, you know, have the odd odd male guest <laughs> a bit outside the CEO network. So I'm not just, but I'm absolutely loving, you know, today and um, the podcast that launches today is a, another CEO member. So it's um yeah, it's such an amazing amazing network. Um, so MJ, can you talk to me a little bit about um, the transition that you've seen? as you say, pre-internet through to social media mm. and how you've used social media to connect with your tribe or how other people use social media to connect yeah. with you. Um, yeah. 
What's your view on the whole social media landscape? Yeah, it's it's been interesting to be part of it from the very beginning because it was, of course, le- so much less noisy in the beginning. You could put anything up and people would respond. It was kind of like the book, you know, it's like in the book business. It used to be, um, you know, when I was publishing books, you could I, we could sell 30,000 copies of anything. I mean, because we had topics that people cared about and we sold millions of copies of various things. And the, And as it's gotten noisier and noisier and more and more people putting things out, it becomes much, much harder, right? To get, to get an audience, to keep an audience. Um, and so I think that that's certainly a challenge, I think, for all of us. Um, and I think that every one of us has to find a thing, the way that works for them, right? I'm sure you're much more of an expert at this than me. Um, but when I, when I was doing publicity for my most recent books, it was, again, originally when I would do blogging, that would work really well. People would find me. People would come work with me because of my blogs. No one reads those things anymore, basically. Although I'm, I'm currently, Vicki asked me to do um, a blog for CEO on LinkedIn every week, on every Monday. And I've started again to do that in January. So I'm almost a year through. And, and people are there's an audience there, but CEO has an audience that I'm piggybacking on, right? So there's a hint there. Don't just go out on your own into the wilderness. <laughs> well, and I think that's you- one of the one of the beauties of social media. Yes, as a business or a brand, it's very hard to get your message heard now yep. on social media. Um, but what is naturally evolving in social media is communities of people exactly. who are connected around causes, purposes. Um, even sometimes brands and products, but there's something, exactly. some commonality. And I think for change makers and innovators who can identify what that, often there's just a little mechanism and sometimes it's a little shift away from this is who we are and what we're doing. And it's a little shift to how can we serve and what can we provide and what's the space we can hold for people. And when people make that shift, these amazing thriving communities come out of that and CEO has obviously experienced some of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's so fascinating because in the last couple of years, I just thought I'm not going to be posting anything. It's not worth it. And then when she asked me, I was like, oh, I got to do it because I'm a good camper. I always do what I'm asked. And so, but I've been surprised at exactly what you're talking about because I'm in the connect in the community that is CEO that not only are the, are, are CEO activators, paying attention but then they're they're posting again and their people are saying you know etc so yeah well one of the most brilliant things and I talked about this with Vicky on her podcast that CEO have got set up is when um you know as soon as somebody joins Vicky gets notified and she links with them on LinkedIn and sends them a personal message and that's yes. how within 24 hours of me joining CEO I had Vicky Saunders booked in to be on my podcast yes um, yes. which was amazing um, for me and certainly over the coming days as it became evident as to how amazing this network was I was like wow she actually reached out to me and she said yes when I asked her to be on my podcast um, yes. so I think CEO were doing some really interesting things I had over 300 people congratulate me on my new role <laughs> wow oh that's right because we asked people to to put that they're an activator yeah, on LinkedIn. It's, it's yeah. brilliant but I even had my sister-in-law say oh my goodness if you started a new company that's a <laughs> <good> name <laughs> I was like no no <laughs> I'm yeah. joined 
work. But it's a great conversation starter because I then went back to people and said, oh, no, this is what CEO is. And, you know, as a result, other people have shown interest and joined some of the calls and things. So that activator title, I guess, for those who are contributing is fantastic because you're an activator on so many different levels. Yes. It's not just putting money into ventures. It's not just being a part of the community. It's activating other people. It's, you know, activating the United Nations goals. There's so so many different yes, layers to that. Absolutely. The other thing, and this may be obvious to you, but it was a big thing for me because we've talked about, you know, Vicki and I keep having conversations about how do we grow the network, how do we, et cetera. And I realized this year I started somebody was talking about community and it was like, that's what we're all hungry for. So we're hungry for community and what, and so, and communities of connection. Right. And so what are, and, and what are those communities that we're naturally affiliated with from, for whatever our interests are or whatever we're trying to change in the world. And then how do you, but I just, I guess, again, maybe obvious to you, but for me, I realized that's the longing. And so that and talking about it in terms of community, rather than groups or networks or any other word. I'm super keen to have a session with you guys and talk about some of my ideas around that because communities of connection is exactly, yeah. you know, that's that's my day in, day out world. And I, yes, I've seen so many beautiful opportunities within the CEO network. So Fantastic. Maybe that's Can't wait. <laughs> conversation for another time. So MJ, as we wrap up, what's um, what's one thing you would like people to do differently? As you've said, we are living in incredibly interesting times with layer upon layer of interesting challenges, depending on where you are in the world. They're slightly different, but we've certainly got a lot of global challenges as well. Um, so what's one thing you would like people to do differently? So I... I would say, and this it's interesting because we, you and I, before we got on on the podcast, we're talking about wisdom to 2.0. The last time I went there, I met um, Kristen Neff, who is the researcher on self-compassion. And so what I wish people would do differently, especially now when things are hard, is really start to, uh, um, to do the practice of self-compassion uh, because it's it's one of the best ways that we can actually nourish ourselves through our, the challenges of our lives and also learn and grow. So um, I feel as passionate about this as I did uh, about gratitude. So just like practicing gratitude or kindness will make us happier, self-compassion will as well. And her research is fascinating, which is that she was the mother of an autistic kid and she noticed that she kept beating herself up for not being perfect. Every time she would lose her temper or she didn't say or do the right thing, she would beat herself up. Sound familiar, right? We all do that. And so she, but she asked the question, why do we do that? It doesn't seem to help anything. It's just self-torture basically. And so what she realized, figured out was the threat system in our amygdala that sets off fight or flight is paying attention to is something bad happening? And when it just when when you do something like that that you don't want to do, you the enemy is yourself, and you start to attack yourself, and that doesn't help you learn and grow. This is coming from the reptilian brain; it doesn't know the difference. And so, so instead, if we activate the attach system, which is the primate brain which is the holding on thinking of the mom the monkeys 
clinging on to its parent, right? This, the physical touch and the kindness of, and love, we set off the oxytocin rather than adrenaline and cortisol. And we actually not only soothe ourselves in the moment, but actually create the conditions for transformation of whatever we want to change. So that's that is, what I wish people would do differently. <laughs> that is fascinating. And now I've got so many things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> um, but I said to you be- just before we came onto the podcast that this year has been the most challenging and the best year of my life, both of those things. And I lost the majority of my business very early mm-hmm. in COVID mm-hmm. because I had clients who were seriously affected early on. Yeah. Um, and I was in a, and I've also gone through a very traumatic divorce in the last six months. And so I was in a very fortunate position that I could take some time out, but I had everyone saying, and I even ran a webinar on how people could pivot and hustle through COVID. Mm-hmm. And then the more I heard that word and the more I heard that push, 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 you can get through this. I just shut down and I just yeah. went into, I don't want to pivot and hustle. I can't pivot and hustle. I don't, I don't have it in me. Yes. And I really think at age 44, it is the first time in my life that I have truly understood self-compassion. Mm. And I literally treated myself like a child oh, no. for a few months. And I just let myself be. But you know what was the hardest part of that? It was the not having physical touch. So I have two beautiful little humans who are four and six who, of course, give me cuddles. Mm-hmm. But generally when children are doing that, they're wanting something from <laughs> you as well. Yeah. It's not just an unconditional. And yeah. I I deliberately, you know, booked in four or five walks a week with amazing women who are all friends of mine. Um, But it was so hard. So we'd be in each other's presence, which was beautiful, but I couldn't just give them a hug. To go for months without that physical touch was really, really challenging. So what you say makes perfect sense. And thankfully, I made it through that with an enormous amount of gratitude and self-care and compassion that's allowed me to rebuild myself and my business in a whole new way that could never have happened if it wasn't for COVID. Oh, glad Um, to hear that. Yeah, yeah, what you're saying really, really resonates. So here's what she figured out. She discovered when you touch yourself, like put your hands in your heart or give yourself a hug, you've got to find the gesture that works for you. For me, it's one hand over another in the center of my chest. You'll know what it is, the right one, because you'll have that... Uh, feeling like you have when you get hugged. And literally the brain can't tell the difference between you doing it for yourself and someone else doing it for, with to you. Ah, uh, interesting. So hug yourself. <laughs> yes, I will. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, it's been so lovely speaking with you, MJ. And I'm really, um, really excited about, you know, continuing to be a part of the CEO network and connecting with you through there. But thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. How do people find out more about you and, and how to connect with you? Um, how to connect with me? Uh, I'm on um, hmm, LinkedIn, but of course I don't remember my, my, my. We'll put all the links in the show notes. Yeah, you, you. You, you, put, you, you put the links in there for me. Yeah. And uh, I'm really, really happy to hear your story about of transformation because I think oftentimes out of the most difficult circumstances is when we rise again and anew. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. And I can't encourage um, any women who are listening, who are intrigued by the CEO community and network, look into it, reach out to me if you'd like, a, a, you know, any more details, but it's, 
it's just such a beautiful, amazing network to be a part of. And one of the only ones I think that I've ever found that truly balances out the ask, give mm. dynamic and does that in such a graceful, um, such a graceful way that has a really significant impact on the planet. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much, MJ. Thank you for joining us on the Social Lights podcast produced by Social Mediology. You can connect with us on Facebook at Social Lights Podcast and you can find today's show notes and more episodes at socialmediology.com.au forward slash social lights. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast platform to receive future episodes and share with your tribe to inspire others to action.